So we talked a little bit about this idea of restore, and we're going to lean back into that today. Uh, if you've got a copy of Scripture, or if you uh, just got inspired and you downloaded the YouVersion Bible app uh, in this moment right now, um, find Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy 5, and we're, uh, we're going to walk through some of that chapter today. While you're, while you're getting there, let me tell you a little bit about what this idea is about. If you're new to Christ Community Church, uh, our church is seven years old. Seven years um, we have been uh, attempting to join Jesus uh, in going outside the gates, going outside the walls of this place to be the hands and feet, the, the light and love of Jesus Christ in our community. And um, as we've been journeying in that, um, you know, finding that in Hebrews 13, um, there's been a lot of good things, a lot of, uh, a lot of fun things to join Jesus in. And, and in year seven, as we sat down as a, as a covenant family, a church family, uh, and just began to seek the Lord in that, we came across this passage in Leviticus about the idea of a Sabbath year. What does it look like to, to rest in God, to be restored by God? And so last week, we jumped into the first part of that, and um, uh, we've got this week and next week. But uh, along with this theme for the year, as we're all trying to pursue and learn together what it means to rest in God in our culture, which is like busy and scattered and just crazy, what does it look like to actually rest in God's presence? As we're attempting to find that, we're laying out three initiatives as a church, things that we want to do together in unity, uh, that we want to journey in together, that we feel like are going to help us to, to be restored to who God has created us to be. And so uh, those things are on the screen. Every fourth Sunday, we're going to do something called Love Shelbyville. Typically, in the last year, couple of years, we've done this every other month. Uh, this year, we're going to do it every fourth Sunday. And what that is, if you've never been here, is uh, we meet here at 10, and then uh, we mobilize, we go, we're sent to uh, all kinds of places in our community to serve, everything from scrubbing toilets to hanging out with um, uh, older people. I always get myself in trouble. I kind of halfway down the sentence and I realize what I'm saying. Uh, whatever it is, right, we just go and we serve our community, hands-on stuff uh, every four Sunday. And so that was returning us to, to our heart for serving. Uh, last week, we talked about the idea of reading through the New Testament together. We're five chapters in, five chapters a week to do that. And so there's plans kind of everywhere, and you can jump in and join us in that. Um, and then one that we're going to dig into a little bit more today is if we would pray for one person, if each one of us would pray for one person to know, to be rescued by Christ for the entire year. We believe that, that will restore us to who God has created each of us to be. So that's the idea of restore, and um, today we're going to dig into Deuteronomy chapter 5, and we're going to walk through this passage a little bit verse by verse. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you at the beginning, um, and, and so as we, as we jump into that, uh, we're going to read the first verse and then, and then just stop. It says this, Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, listen carefully, Israel, here are the decrees and regulations I am giving you today, so you may learn them and obey them. So I read that, and I started thinking about listening. And whenever I think about listening, it's, it's never a good journey for me because I realize that I fail to listen a lot, and I put myself in really bad spots when I fail to listen. Now, um, our journeys, our stories, how we ended up at Christ Community Church today are, are all very different, but I'm really hoping, I'm really hoping that I'm not the only person who's bad at listening and ends up in some bad spots because of it. Anybody out there with me? All right, that's just a nervous chuckle, so we'll see. So I started thinking about uh, 
I started thinking about, man, what are some stories in my life? What are some connection points in my life of where I've uh, failed to listen? And uh, the list got pretty long, pretty fast. I started thinking, you know, going way back, uh, mom and dad, my mom and dad are here today, which is pretty awesome. And so I'll skip that story of how I didn't listen to them because they don't, they don't need to know that story. Um, you know, there's sports teams, sports coaches that I didn't listen to, mentors, all kinds of stuff. Um, and so I thought, man, let's just tell a story from like this week. Let's just see what happens there. And so um, I, how many of you all, um, maybe this is just true for guys, but when your wife is talking to you on the phone, sometimes it's really hard to listen. It can be really hard to listen. And so uh, we had come through the morning chaos um, one day. Um, and, you know, we like how it works for us is I get Caitlin and the kids out to school and then like I hurry up and I get myself and I go. But in the middle of that, Caitlin usually calls me back on her way to Louisville. And it's like the rundown of the day. Like, here's what's happening. Here's what's for dinner. Here's what's going on tonight. And we're like, we're going to figure it out. OK, so I don't know what's going on, but I remember like we're, we're having this conversation and she tells me what we're having for dinner. And she tells me that I need to go to Kroger and get something to finish this this dinner. I'm like, yep, uh-huh, yep, yep, got it, check. And then I hang up the phone, and two minutes later, I'm like, I have no clue what we're having for dinner, and I have no clue what I'm supposed to get from Kroger. Anybody else been there? All right, a few people. We're starting to get a little more encouraged, like everybody's joining me a little bit, right? So, uh, so I'm like, I am in a terrible spot because here are my options. I can not do anything for dinner, I can call Caitlin back and tell her that I was not listening for our entire phone conversation, and neither one of those seemed like very good options. So uh, as men sometimes have a tendency to do, I just sweat it out. <laughs> I just wait the whole day, and I work a little longer. And I get to the end of the day, and I'm like, I've got a genius idea. So I call Caitlin, and I'm like, Kate, it's just been a really long day. What do you say we eat out tonight? <laughs> right? Then we end up at a fast food restaurant that serves kids free. So... Um, when I fail to listen, I put myself in some really bad spots. I think a lot of us have done that maybe at some point in our life. And, and so it was just really interesting to me as we jump into this passage in Deuteronomy 5 that, that Moses starts, he's gathering the people of Israel, the country of Israel together. And he's saying to them, like, he just tells them right up front, listen carefully. Listen carefully, Israel. Hear the decrees, the regulations that I'm giving you today so that, so that you may learn them and obey them. You see, there's an order here in what Moses is saying that's important as we think about this idea of being restored by God. Uh, you see, the order, the order is this. Moses wants the, the people of Israel to, to get together to listen and to hear about the covenant so that they can learn it and obey it. We have to listen and hear from God before we can learn the truths of God and obey them. We have to listen and hear from him first before we can learn and obey. And Moses wants the people of Israel to get together to, to listen, to hear, to, to tune in to what he's about to say because he realizes that if they don't hear him, they will never be able to obey him. So he goes on, verses 2 through 6, and he writes this. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of the fire. I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. 
He spoke to me and I passed his words on to you. And this is what he said. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. I spoke last week about a friend of mine named Hope Juarez, uh, who uh, spoke to our, our staff on this idea of, of Sabbath rest or, or Sabbath restoration. And he taught us from this passage that we're digging into today. And the question that he asked us as a staff is the question that I want to ask us as a church today. What is your Egypt? What's your Egypt? What's your Egypt? You see, the people of Israel were enslaved in the land of Egypt for some 400 years. For 400 years, they were, uh, they were trapped. They were, they were made to do this brutal, backbreaking work. They were treated as, as second-class human beings for 400 years. So Moses says, listen, listen and hear. And then he reminds them of this terrible, terrible piece of their story. But he reminds them that the Lord rescued them from that place. And the same God that we worship here at Christ Community Church today is the same God that rescued the people of Israel from Egypt, that brought them out of that slavery. So what's your Egypt? What is the thing that that you have been entrapped by? What is the thing that has held you back? What is the thing that that you just don't want to talk about, that you don't want to remember. What's your Egypt? Because the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that the same God who rescued those people from Egypt is the same God who wants to rescue you today. You know, if today you've been journeying with Jesus for a while, the question for you is, what was your place of slavery? Because recognizing what that is helps us to understand how God is going to restore us. But, but maybe today you're here, maybe you're here in desperation. You've tried everything else and you're not sure where else to turn. Maybe you're here seeking something. You're, you're seeking community. You're seeking uh, some kind of good news. You're not even sure what it is. But maybe, maybe you're here seeking the Lord. But if, you, if that's you today, what, what is the place of your slavery? What is the prison that God wants to rescue you from? What is your Egypt? Maybe for some of us, we've given ourselves away physically or, or emotionally in relationships in our past. And because of that, we're now scared to, to love and to trust others in a real and meaningful way. Maybe for some of us, we've, we've been spoiled. We've been spoiled all of our lives only to, to find out that we're now trapped by like the selfish spirit that drives us to actions and, and drives us to selfish desires that we don't even want, but, but we can't help because we've been spoiled. Maybe our Egypt is, is a toxic relationship with our parents that, uh, you know, they're, they're great people, but there's just some weird things going on, and that's led to feelings of inadequacy. And so we're, we're struggling to, to come out of that Egypt. Maybe for some of us, we're struggling to find security in who we are. We're being enslaved to the constant internal war of proving ourselves to others. Maybe, maybe our Egypt isn't any of those things. Maybe it's something that, that we can't even control. Situations that were completely unfair and just downright appalling that, that we aren't sure how to escape from. Abuse, absent parents, hateful acts. Maybe you saw things that you never should have seen. What's your Egypt? 
What's your Egypt? God wants to rescue you from that place. He wants to bring you out of that place. We read that in verse 6, right? In verse 6, he says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, your place of slavery. You know, we talked about beginning to read the New Testament together. And this week we read uh, through uh, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 was the reading for, for Tuesday. And uh, I want to take just a minute. This is a, this is a, a cool picture of how God's word is, is so incredible. Matthew 2 uh, verses 13 through 15 says this, and I want to see if you can see the connection between your Egypt, between that, that question that you just asked yourself, and, and the good news of Jesus Christ. It says this, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And so that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Can you see it? Isn't that incredible? Jesus came out of Egypt to save us from our Egypt. Jesus came out of uh, both the geographical Egypt, but, but also the, the figurative Egypt. Imagine this. You have to flee to a country because as a child, as an infant, someone is, is coming to kill you. And not only that, like tons of babies were, were killed because this one King Herod was, was coming after you. If that's not in Egypt, I'm not sure what is. That's, it's terrible. It's a terrible experience. And Jesus came out of, of his Egypt to save us from ours. And what that shows us is that Jesus knows what it is to go through hard times. Jesus knows what it is to be lonely. Jesus knows the pain that comes with your Egypt. He knows the discomfort that you felt as you wrestled with what your Egypt is. And instead of him giving in to those difficulties in his own life, he went to the cross and endured even more pain to rescue all of us from that place. So the good news says that whatever hard time, whatever difficulty, whatever emotional season you're stuck in today, whatever pain you're facing in this world, Jesus has overcome. Jesus has overcome. But being restored, right? Jesus rescues us, but being restored, learning to rest in, in God, it, it begins there. It begins with being rescued by him. We must be rescued before we can be restored. We must be rescued before we can be restored. But when we let God bring us out of our Egypt, he begins to restore in us the things that he has created us to do. You see, God brings us out to send us out. God brings us out to send us out. That's why our church finds its purpose in going outside. It's why we want to join Jesus outside the gates. It's why we don't ever let ourselves forget that four out of five people in Shelby County aren't hearing the good news that Jesus rescues them this morning. And so God's purpose for you and I is to be sent out into the world to introduce them all to that good news. Jesus was praying with his disciples before going to the cross to endure the pain of that. He was praying, and we read his prayer in John chapter 17. And in verse 18, he, he says this, Just as you sent me into the world. Think about what's packed into that phrase, right? 
Just as you sent me into the world, just as you made me leave the throne of heaven, come to earth as a baby, and then have to flee to Egypt, go to my Egypt, just as you sent me to those things, I am sending them into the world. Just as Jesus gave up a lot to go and to be grace and truth for people, he is sending us into a world of all kinds of crazy things to be grace and truth to others. And so all of the other things in our life, our our work, our family, our friends, the things that entertain us, they are blessings and and they are to be enjoyed, but, but they are simply that. They are just blessings that God gives us along the way. They are not our purpose. So the question becomes, how do we get from, from just being rescued by Jesus, where he, where he comes and he saves us from our Egypt, to a point where we are being restored or, or to a point of restoration in Jesus? We see your obedience to the rules turns your rescue into restoration. Now, if you're a millennial like me, that rules word is like a really dirty word. But your obedience to the rules turns your rescue into a restoration. Read with me the end of this story, Deuteronomy 5. We're going to come back to the Ten Commandments here in just a minute, but Deuteronomy 5, 23 through the end. It says, But when you heard the voice from the heart of the darkness while the mountain was blazing with fire, all your tribal leaders and elders came to me and they said, Look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice from the heart of the fire. Today we have seen that God can speak to us humans, and yet we live. But now, why should we risk death again? If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die and be consumed by this awesome fire. Can any living thing hear the voice of the living God from the heart of the fire as we did and yet survive? Go yourself and listen to what the Lord our God says. Then come and tell us everything he tells you, and we will listen and obey. The Lord heard the request you made to me, and he said, I have heard what the people said to you, and they are right. Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Go and tell them, return to your tents, but you stand here with me so I can give you all my commands, decrees, and regulations. You must teach them to the people so that they can obey them in the land I am giving them as their possession. So Moses told the people, you must be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God following his instruction in every detail. Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. And then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and occupy. See, Jesus rescues us with his grace. But it's walking in his truth that restores us. Jesus rescues us with his grace, but it's walking in his truth that restores us. I've told this story to, to probably several of you, and it's, it's just one of those stories that I love, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell a lot. But uh, a few Sundays ago, I was uh, laying in the recliner, uh, and I was, I was watching football. Caitlin was asleep in our room taking a nap, and um, Tinley and Preston, what that meant for them was they were ruling the house at that moment. They were everywhere, and um, Preston has like this little two-wheel scooter thing and he's like scooting it in a circle around uh, around our house. And I'm kind of watching them, kind of watching football. You know what it is, like that Sunday morning, afternoon, like haze. And all of a sudden, I hear the sound that no parent wants to hear. <laughs> Caleb was awake. I'm pretty sure I made it down into our basement in like 0.3 seconds. 
because I'm his father, right? I'm his, like, I love my son. I'm going to rescue my son because my son is down at the bottom of the steps and it didn't sound like he walked down them. So I'm down there and I scoop him up and he's crying and I'm just like holding him because I'm going to rescue my son. Like my love for Preston is like, it will never, like the, I will always rescue him. I will always rescue him. And so I'm, I'm holding him there and Caitlin and Tinley come behind me and before I can say anything, he looks up at me and his cute little two-year-old voice, he said, Daddy, I rode my bike down the stairs. <laughs> so we start laughing we're trying not to but you know I'm assuming this means he's okay you know I'm like it's okay buddy I said are you okay yeah I just wanted to get a toy and this was like we have a 90 degree turn in our stairs right so it wasn't like he just went down half of them it was like half and then a turn and then like the rest of the half I mean he's alive praise God so we're laughing and he's crying and he's you know telling us that he rode his bike down the stairs to get the toy and like I like I've I've checked the box I'm being a father and rescuing my son like he's okay and then I realized like we might have a problem here because I'm wondering if he's gonna try and do this again and I was like bud do you think that was a good idea no I said okay I said do you think we should do you think we should ride our, our bike down the stairs again? <laughs> yes. It was fun. <laughs> Thinking, oh my goodness. But it illustrates this idea, right? I rescued Preston. I rescued him because I loved him, and there was nothing that was gonna stop me from getting from my recliner down to the bottom of those steps. But for, Re- for Preston to be restored, right, for Preston to, to learn to do the right thing, for him to not do that again, he's going to have to choose to obey uh, the laws of gravity <laughs> and the laws of his parents that say, don't ride your bike down the stairs. And so it's his obedience that's going to move him from a place of just being rescued to a place of being restored. And so for us as Christians, here's the thing. God's love is great. It is massive. It is wide. And there is nothing, there is nothing that you have done that is going to keep God from rescuing you. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die and pay for all of those sins. But if we want to move from a place of just being rescued to being restored and learning to do the right things and living like Jesus lived, then we're going to have to obey the rules. We're going to have to obey. Obedience moves us from a place of rescue to a place of restoration. And so when we read these Ten Commandments, these Ten Commandments aren't things that, that are just given so that somebody can come behind us and tell us what we've done right and wrong. These Ten Commandments aren't things to, to hold us back. And oftentimes in Christian circles, right, what, like, which are super weird anyway, in Christian circles, are like, well, Jesus didn't say anything about the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but Jesus said the greatest commandment was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if you'll notice, the first half of the Ten Commandments, they all tell us how to do that. And then after that, he said, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the back half of the commandments, guess what they do? They tell us how to do that. And right in the middle is this idea of taking care of yourself, of Sabbath rest, of resting in Him. And resting in Him is what holds these two ideas of loving God and loving people together. 
And so I say all that because I knew that if I just said, hey, let's talk about the Ten Commandments, everybody's checking out. But I want us to know that these commandments that God gives us are to give us life. They're to restore us to how God created us. They're to restore us to the life that He wants to give to us. So the first part, the first half of the Ten Commandments is all about teaching us how to love God. Look at these with me, verses 7 through 11. They say this, You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or, or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parent upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. So you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Offering our heart completely to him. It boils down to this. God needs a position of priority and authority in your life. Does he have it? God needs a position of priority and authority in your life. Does he have it? Is God first? Is God above your family? Is God above your job? Is God above all of those things? When it comes time to make decisions about how you will spend your energy and your time and your resources, is God first? And then when God asks you to do hard things, is he the authority in your life or are you the authority? Learning to love God with all of ourselves is giving him a position of, of priority and, and of authority. There's some questions that I might challenge you with to think about whether or not you really love God. The first is simple. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent to rescue you? Do you believe that about him? And if you do, is, is repenting a practice in your life? Is, is turning from those things? It's not that you can't mess up, right? God's love is great. But are you continually turning from those things that are trying to steal God's position of priority and authority in your life and turning yourself back to him? Are there things in your life more important than your relationship with Jesus? That's hard. I can say yes to that, right, myself. And I need to to turn from those things. And then finally, have you given over the authority in your life to God? Have you confessed with your mouth to others that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you are living your life for him and not for you? You know, those are hard questions, but those are just the simple questions of salvation. Do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? And if you struggle with those, it's okay. It's okay to struggle with those, but but don't struggle alone. And don't let the struggle go by without giving heedance to it, right? Like, have a conversation. Find out if you truly know the Lord your God who rescues you from your Egypt. Love God. And then in the middle, in verses 12 through 15, God talks about this idea of a Sabbath rest. And the Sabbath rest is the central piece that holds together loving God and loving people. Verses 12 through 15. It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You've got six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your oxen and donkeys and other livestock and any foreigners living among you. 
All your male and female servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. Remember that. But the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and his powerful arm. And that's why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Sabbath is hard. Resting is hard. It's easier just to go to work. It's easier to feel like you're accomplishing something and that you're successful. Because when we rest, we read it here in Scripture, we remember our Egypt. We remember our weaknesses. We remember the things about ourselves that we don't like. We remember the things that that we don't want to talk about. But if we know Jesus, when we remember our Egypt, we quickly remember our rescue. And that's what a Sabbath is for. To remember our Egypt so that we can remember our rescue. And when we don't do this, it's as if we're saying to God, our work is better than yours at rescuing people. We ourselves have more ability to rescue ourselves from ourselves than you do. And it's offensive. (laughs) So love God, rest, and finally love people. Verses 16 through 21 are all about different ways that we love people well. We honor our father and our mother. We don't murder. We don't commit adultery. We don't steal. We don't covet. And really, it boils down to this. We must desire for people to be rescued by Jesus. That's how we love them. We must desire for them to be rescued by Jesus more than we want to be the one who rescues them. We can't give people all that they need. We can only give them Jesus. There's no amount of meals, service project, gifts, encouragements, invitations that can give them the love and blessings that they will have by knowing Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So we must serve and love people, but we can't do it without Jesus. That's why we have the order that we do. This morning, as you came in, there was a card uh, on your chair. We're just calling those our Pray for One cards. I want you to grab that and get that out. On the front of that card, you'll see a picture of uh, James being baptized by Bobby. Beautiful picture of new life in Christ. Someone who had some Egypts, right? An incredible story of somebody who had some Egypts and who found freedom in Christ. And there's a scripture there that talks about God's desire for everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. On the back of that card, there are several scriptures and some, just some prayer prompts that are going to help you pray for one person who hasn't been rescued by Jesus to be rescued by him. You can write that person's name in there. You can put that in your Bible. You can hang it somewhere. But we want to challenge... Uh, we want, to, we want to do this together as a church family, right? That we'd be praying and we'd be reminded of those who have never been rescued by Jesus to be praying for them, to praying that God would do that. This week I came across three questions because um, here's what's going to happen, right? I'm just going to tell you what, what's going to happen with those. You're going to start praying for that person. You're going to find yourself in a relationship with them. You're going to find yourself burdened for them and that's, that's good. It's what God wants. But then what do you say, right? What do you say to those people? So there are three questions that I came across this week that that I feel like are good questions that help you to introduce the gospel into these people's lives, help them to see how Jesus rescues them. Number one is this, what's your spiritual background, right? What's your spiritual background? Just tell me about your story. And then as you see opportunity, introducing to them how Jesus loves them. What's your greatest pain? What's your greatest pain? Tell me about your greatest pain. And then let me tell you about the Jesus who came out of Egypt to save you from your Egypt. And what's your dream? 
What's your dream? And let me tell you how Jesus wants to make your dream better than you could ever have asked or imagined. There's still a big looming question out there, right? Why be obedient? Why go all the way back to these Ten Commandments? Why go all the way back to these really simple ideas of loving God, loving people, and resting in Him? Why be obedient to those things? Why try to put those things into practice? The reason is because when we do, we unlock unfailing love for thousands of generations. We unlock unfailing love for thousands of generations and we choose to obey the Lord. Look back at verse 10 with me. If you still got this pulled up. God says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Each year, Caitlin uh, creates a, a memory book for our family. And uh, she uses a shutterfly thing. And she puts pictures from like the big events and sometimes just the common everyday stuff like baths and bike rides and trips down the stairs. <clears throat> and so she'll do these books and, and, and almost inevitably, right, the book comes in and you look through the book and you're like, wow, that was a good year, right? And you look through all the other ones and like it's really neat to see how much you and, and your family changes, how much we change over the course of that year. Like so much has happened in the course of a year. I want you to imagine a picture with me for just a few moments. Imagine what Shelby County would look like in one year if each of us in this room chose to obey these three commands. To hear them and to to learn them and to obey them. What would Shelby County look like if we really learned to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What would it look like if we loved our neighbors, like our actual neighbors, as ourselves? And what would it look like if we learned to rest in Him? What does it look like as we pray for this one person to start that same journey of loving God, loving people, and resting in Him? Now let's go a step further. Imagine with me, we talk all the time about how four out of five people in Shelby County don't foster a relationship with Christ in the church. What if each of us reached four people in our lifetime, right? Because that's what the odds would say. That's what the statistics would say, that if we would reach four people in our lifetime, if you would reach four people in our lifetime, Shelby County would be Christian, like just Christian What if we built relationships with four people that didn't know him, asked these intentional questions, taught them the simple truths of the gospel? I loved a tweet that I read this week that simply said, when was the last time your New Year's resolution was most concerned with someone else? I know, that's good. That makes me, you know, a little uncomfortable. And in the meantime, here's the beautiful thing that happens. Your obedience to go outside, your obedience to love God, love people, Your obedience to God's rules, right, are turning your personal rescue into your restoration. It's taking you from just someone who's got a story and thank goodness God saved me to someone who is right with God and living a life that you never could have asked or imagined because you're returning to the purpose that God has created you for. Imagine how the people that you interact with each week would see you changing. They see you becoming someone new in Christ. See you becoming someone who's helping Jesus and saving the world. They see you becoming someone who loves people deeply, carrying yourself with a sense of being restored instead of always being the person who walks in exhausted. 
that's a picture that I want to be a part of. And picture with me that person that you're going to pray for this year. Put their face in your brain for just a moment. And imagine what their life could look like in a year if God would get a hold of them even today. Imagine that that you began praying for God to interrupt their life, to show them their need for a Savior and draw them to His Son, Jesus, so that they might be rescued and then restored by the God of the universe. Those are pictures that we want to be a part of. But here's what's incredible about God, and here's what's incredible about this verse. He's not just talking about a year. He's saying that when we choose to obey God in these commands, He's going to give His unfailing love to thousands of generations. That's too much for us to fathom. The amount of change that God's love can cause in a year is astounding. It's it's overwhelming to think about, but now magnify that over thousands of generations, and that is the power of God's love that never, ever fails. Today, the band's going to come back, and uh, we're going to respond. Someone will come and tell you more about that response. But I pray that you will be seeking God for one of these two things. You either need to ask God to break your heart for that one person that needs rescued. You need to spend some serious time with him in this moment, just saying, God, who is it that you desire to be rescued that I can be praying for on a daily basis? Or you need to ask God to rescue your own heart. You've played the games, you've put on the faces, you've tried to fix your own problems. But sitting here in this place, you sense the Spirit of God saying to you, I am broken, and I know that God is the only answer, and I'm not sure what it even looks like to respond to Him in faith, but I need to do that today. Which one are you? Do you need to ask God to break your heart, or do you need to ask God to rescue your heart? And I pray that God would give you the courage to respond in that. If today you know that you need God to rescue your heart, I'm going to be in the back over here. I think Todd's in the back over here. And we want to help you to to understand just how it is that Jesus rescues you. But more than that, we want God to restore all of us as we learn to obey His commands. I'm going to pray for us. Wes is going to lead us in our time of response. Then we can sing together. Father God, thank you for being uh, a good and perfect father. A father that loves us so much that there is nothing that will get in your way of rescuing us. But today, God, as we think about our Egypt, as we think about uh, maybe the ways that we fail, as we rest in you, even in this moment, God, maybe not even knowing what that means, but trying our best to seek you and pursue you and place our heart with you. God, I pray that you would pray that you would teach us to obey. pray that you would teach us to to love you more deeply. I pray that you would teach us to love other people. I pray that you would teach us how to rest in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.